And last week we talked about some ways that we can sort of circumvent conflict from happening in the first place. If we understand each other well and understand ourselves well, it can help to avoid conflict from even coming up. But inevitably, conflict happens. Okay? If there's two people in the world <laughs> in anywhere near proximity to each other, there will eventually be conflict. Before there was sin, there was conflict in the garden with, with Eve and the snake. And there was probably a little conflict even between Eve and Adam, because why didn't she go talk to him when the snake came in? And so there was a little conflict happening even before sin came into the world. So conflict is normal. It happens. And most of us in Minnesota in particular, um, there is a cultural tendency to ignore conflict as if pretending the house isn't on fire will somehow make it not burn down. But guess what? Fire burns stuff. You know that, right? So we're going to talk about how to resolve conflicts in a healthy way, and we're going to do it in only one Sunday. So <laughs> it's going to be like a very abbreviated version. We'll maybe do a bigger version you know, later on in the fall or something. Um, one of the main issues with resolving conflict is what I told the kids. Anger is almost always involved. At least one of the people. Let's say there's a conflict between you and an employee, or you and a coworker, or you and a neighbor, or whatever it is. So there's a, or you and your spouse, you and a kid. Conflicts happen all the time. If there's a conflict between two people. Chances are one of those two people, at least, probably both, are angry. Okay, and like we talked about, anger isn't a sin. Ephesians 4:26. Be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. In your anger, don't sin. Being angry isn't a sin in and of itself. It's what you let yourself do next. Some people take anger as a license to do whatever they want. They said something. They made me angry, and so now I can yell and scream at them, which that's not good. That's the sin part. Okay? Uh, anger doesn't give us a license to do stuff, but it isn't bad in and of itself. Can you think of any time in the Bible where God gets angry? Anybody? Andrew Ken? Um, uh, grab the mic. When he destroyed that one city, and when Jesus was cleansing the temple, he got mad and um, tipped the t all the tables. Yeah, absolutely. Sodom and Gomorrah get destroyed. The whole earth got destroyed with the flood. He's angry with Israel all the time for not obeying him. And I mean, there's a lot of anger from God. Anger isn't bad in and of itself. And so some of us might need to unlearn some cultural things about what anger is and what it isn't. It's not inherently bad. When I talk about the word anger, um, a lot of people are like, well, I don't get angry. But you do get angry. I'm talking about the bigger picture kind of umbrella category of anger. I'm not talking about giant rage monster. We're not talking about Incredible Hulk. You know, you guys remember the Incredible Hulk? Bruce Banner gets angry and he turns into a giant green rage monster. And that's not what I'm talking about. Okay? Uh, anger, here, let me give you some synonyms for those of us who are good Minnesotans and say, well, I don't get angry. Uh, some synonyms for anger. I looked these up. By the way, there were 290 million results on Google. I just was curious. Disappointed is a synonym of anger. It's under the same umbrella. How many of you ever heard from your parents, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed? It's the same thing. It's a different version of the same thing, but it's under the same category that we're talking about of anger, okay, that emotion. Uh, synonyms, frustrated, 
annoyed, irritated, provoked, upset. I'm just a little upset. I'm not angry. Because we think of anger as rage monster, right? But it's not rage monster. It's all this stuff. I'm upset. That's anger. It has the same response in the body. It's the same emotion. Um, displeased. Furious. I like, I like the example of furious. We sang that in a song this morning about God's love. Your love is furious. And we could do a whole you know, sermon on what does that actually mean. But God is furious for us on our behalf. His love has that aspect to it. He is also jealous for us, it says in the Bible. So some of these things that we think of as being solely negative aren't necessarily. So if God can be furious, if his love can be furious, it's okay for us to be that too. It's what do we do next? God doesn't let himself get into rage monster mode, okay? Jesus didn't go around punching people. He didn't smite the Pharisees. He could have. He called them a brood of vipers. Some of us would consider that impolite, perhaps. But it was Jesus, so it was okay. So it's not getting angry that's the problem. It's whether or not we sin, whether or not we let the sun go down on our anger. And we all get angry. We all get angry. When we get upset, we get angry. But it's a secondary emotion. Something else happens first. Um, I got a couple examples here. So I can find the examples first. So when someone says something to you and you feel hurt, and then you get angry. And we tend to say, oh, when you said that, it made me angry. But what, it, what you actually mean is when you said that, I felt hurt, and then I got angry. Or when you said that, I felt ignored, and then I got angry. Anger is always a secondary emotion. It's like a response emotion to something else that happens. Here's one that we've probably all experienced. You're, you're the angry one, okay? And you say to the other person, when you made that decision without talking to me first, it made me feel, how would that make you feel? We've all probably experienced this before. You made that decision without talking to me first. That made me feel irrelevant, irrelevant. Disrespected. disrespected, overlooked, marginalized, others? Betrayed. What? Sorry? Betrayed. Betrayed. <laughs> Maybe stupid. Not Why didn't... Not valued, exactly. Like, you must not think I have very good ideas, or you must not think I'm very smart if you didn't talk to me first about this decision. So we've, th those are all valid, by the way. And most of us have experienced that exactly. Um, and it's not fun. It makes us feel bad. Little kids often put everything in the category of, I made me feel bad. But there's specific things, and those are the things that we want to get at. What was it about what this other person did? My boss said this to me, and that made me feel overlooked because he didn't ask me first and it's in my job I'm, I'm supposed to be part of that decision underrated, underrated. Un mistrusted he must not trust me she must not trust me because she didn't ask me first and so we feel that emotion and then we get angry because of that everybody with me and so when we get into conflict and talk about it it's not helpful to say you did this and that made me angry we have to figure out why do we get angry because anger is, all, anger is the secondary emotion. It happens later. It happens afterwards. Something happened first, and that's what we need to get at. That's what we need to figure out. Um, but you can't have that discussion when you're angry. You, it is impossible, actually, to resolve conflict in anger or in fear. If you're afraid or angry, you can't resolve conflict. 
And I'm going to tell you why with a quick biology lesson. I was pre-med in college. As most of you know, I got to dissect a human cadaver, including the brain. And it did not look like this because it was real, and I'm a terrible artist. Um, when dissecting that brain, one of the uh, responsibilities we had, or we didn't get enough as many points, was to find the amygdala. The amygdala is this little green dot here. It's not green in the actual brain. It's all gray, which is why it's really hard to dissect the brain. <laughs> Figure out where the parts are. It all looks the same. Okay. Um, this little thing, it's like the size of like half of an edamame. It's like maybe a little bigger than a pea. It's this tiny little thing kind of right in the middle in the base of your brain. This is your brain's alarm system. It's your brain's security guard. It's up on the wall of the castle, constantly on duty, constantly looking out, watching for threats. That's, that's most of what it does. And so it is the emotional control center. It's the boss. It's always watching for threats. And when your amygdala perceives a threat, whether that is a physical threat, an emotional threat, or a cognitive threat, it puts up an alarm. And when it does that, it takes over your brain. And some things happen. So a threat could be a snake when you're on a nice little walk. You're on a nice walk, you see a snake, your amygdala goes, snake, Rolodex, bad, it can kill you, I'm going to take over. And so unless you're really used to seeing snakes, then your amygdala learns that it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. You can retrain your brain on how it responds. And experience is one of the things that retrain your brain, which is why bad experiences repeated over and over again train your brain in a bad way. Okay? Um, and so you see a snake and you go, whoa, okay, that's a physical threat. And your amygdala takes over your brain and says, get away from that snake. Okay? And your body goes into something called fight or flight mode. Okay? When the amygdala senses a threat, it takes over your brain. This prefrontal cortex gets shut down, and that guy's in charge. Okay? And the reason that happens is to protect us. It protects us from threats. It protects us from snakes. It also happens in an emotional threat. They said something really, really mean to me. Maybe what they said or did pushed one of my buttons. Maybe I have something in my heart that's not yet fully healed. And it's a wound, and it's a soft spot, and they poked it. The amygdala goes, whoa, hang on, alarm, threat mode, and it's anger time. And this is turned off. This is the prefrontal cortex. It's the front of your brain. This is the part of your brain that thinks. This is the, the rational part of your brain. This is the part of your brain that lets you work through a problem and figure something out. This is logic. This is rational thought. When you are in fight or flight mode, which is aptly named, it's literally what it is. Your amygdala takes over and because, okay, what it does is it shuts down this and it takes over everything to decide how do we deal with this threat. We either have to fight it or we got to flee. We got to fight it or avoid it. We got to get out of the way because we can't let this kill us emotionally, physically, whatever it is, right? And so it shuts this down because it needs that brain power to figure out how to live. And so when you are in fight or flight mode, when your brain has recognized a threat, when you are angry, anger triggers this. Fear triggers this. Okay? 
And there are degrees to this as far as like, you know, the amygdala might trigger like, oh, we're a little bit threatened versus like, whoa, we're falling down a cliff. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is bad. And it shuts this down, and so you can't think rationally. So when you are angry, you can't resolve a conflict because you can't think. You can't reason. Has anyone ever tried to have a discussion with someone who's angry? It is literally impossible to have a discussion. You can have a fight with them. You can have an argument with them, but you cannot have a discussion. It's not possible. You can't reason. You can't think. And some of the things that um, specifically happen are, um, yeah, so when you're in fight or flight mode, we've all experienced this, your heart rate increases, right? Your heart rate increases. Your body produces more adrenaline. It gets that into your system. You might get a little shaky. Your palms might sweat if you can sweat. Um, there, are, there are other things, physical things that happen. So you can tell, you, we can learn to figure out, am I angry? Is my body in flight or flight mode right now? And we can learn to recognize that. I feel like I can't get quite enough wind. Why? Because I, my heart is beating so fast that I need more oxygen. My body is in fight or flight mode. I might get a little shaky. I might get a little upset. Okay? The blood is flowing a little more to my face. Maybe their face is getting red. That's a re physical response to your body going into flight or fight mode. Um, you... Another, another thing is, you, again, you can't rationalize, and so you have absolute certainty when you're in this mode. The amygdala says, there is two things here. There are two options. That's it. And most of us take that to be, there's my way and the wrong way. And that is it. This happened to me. That was wrong. You're evil. That is what the brain tells us, because there is a threat. And, and the amygdala refuses to believe it's wrong. Because it's not very enlightened, right? Um, and so that's why you can't get into an argument when you're angry or when the other person is angry. Because they can't see any other way other than their way or the wrong way. Or their way or your way, which is the wrong way. Okay? They can't see it. Literally, it's physically impossible. The brain is shut off. It's disconnected. And so when we get angry and our body switches into this mode, we can't just... Well, I'm going to have a discussion now. I'm a mature Christian. I can have a we can have a discussion about this. You, you, you can't. You have to cool off. Count to ten. There are old adages about letting go of anger and giving it up for a good reason. Because we all know that this is how we are, right? And you can recognize it in your body. Your heart starts to beat up, beat a little faster. You start to get a little excited. Maybe you start to get red or hot. Or you feel like you need to stand up or move around a little more. You have certainty. You, you, there is only my way. Or the highway, as grandma used to, somebody used to say that. Um, and another thing that happens is, interestingly, when, when the amygdala takes over, the amygdala is kind of a tyrant, okay? When it takes over, it looks through your memory and finds all of the files that are tagged with what just happened to you. Every file that's been tagged with, he spoke in a harsh tone. They all come up on, on the amygdala's screen. And it says, plus you did this. And this is just like last week when you did that. And you weren't thinking about these things five seconds ago. These things weren't always on your brain. But they are going to remember things from 12 years ago, all of a sudden. You ever had that happen? You're in an argument with somebody, and all of a sudden you're remembering all these other past things they did. And you're like, didn't I forgive all that stuff? 
What's going on here? And you probably did forgive it, but you didn't forget it. And the amygdala takes over and is like, here's all the reasons why we're in big trouble because this person's evil or trying to hurt us. And so we throw out a lot of data when we're in flight or flight mode. Here is the 12 reasons why you suck. And we can't give an orderly account of them or a rational account of what's going on. So we just blurt out the data. Plus, you did this. And you're always like this. And why do you do this? And some of that data then, once you've gotten all the relevant data, you start pulling in just random data. Plus, anything else you do that I don't like. Plus, why don't you ever wash the car? What? <laughs> what? Like, that's just what this does. Okay, And I'm, this is not sinful. This is your brain. But we can learn to stop it from happening by not talking to someone when we're angry, OK? It's, you just have to avoid it. Um, because this thing, when this thing takes over, it can get bad. And it escalates, right? We've all, we've all been in these situations. You start doing this, and it escalates. And they are going to get angry at some point if they weren't to begin with, OK? They're going to get defensive. When someone gets defensive, what does that mean? It means their amygdala just took over. Because they perceive a threat, and they now must defend themselves. You're getting kind of defensive. Warning, not a good time for a discussion. This is difficult as a pastor, because sometimes you bring up issues, and people are like, I don't do that. And they get defensive, and it's like, ah, they're not going to hear the rest of the sermon. They're not going to hear it, because this doesn't work. They're just going, I'm not like that. Here are all the reasons why I'm not like that. I never do those things. So it's really difficult. And when it's time to resolve the conflict, when you've calmed down, they've calmed down, and you're like, let's have a discussion about this, you have to be extra kind, extra soft, extra humble when you're talking to this other person so that you don't set them off, so that they don't get defensive. And this is why sometimes conflict can't be resolved before the sun goes down. We do try. Try your best, OK? But you might come together. Let's talk about this. You come together, and within three minutes, it's all you're angry again. Or they are, right? And so you have to speak and act in such a way that isn't going to get them onto defensive mode. Are you with me? We've all experienced this, right? We go back, we talk to the person, then they get super defensive, and then we start arguing why they shouldn't be defensive. It doesn't matter. You can't argue cannot reason with them. They are zombie mode, OK? They are straight up, I got to save myself. And your amygdala does that for any physical threat, any emotional threat, and any cognitive threat. A cognitive threat is something that threatens your worldview or the way you believe about things. For example, every political discussion that has ever taken place. This is political season. I'm going to talk a lot about this. Every Sunday, between now and the election, I'm going to talk about this because it's a real problem. Mm. And I'm really serious, OK? I don't know anyone who's ever had a political discussion where they didn't get into fight or flight mode. And here's why. You're reading an article or watching someone on TV or listening to someone in a room. They say something that you don't agree with or goes against your worldview or the way you see things. Your amygdala perceives that as a cognitive threat. They are trying to tell me I'm wrong. They're trying to tell me to change. No. Your amygdala takes over. This is why when you're watching the news, you get angry. 
This is why when you're watching the news, you might find yourself yelling at the TV. Anybody seen anybody yell at the TV before? Or the computer? Anybody ever done it? I've done it. I do it when I watch the Vikings, too. Okay? Why do you yell at the TV? We've just heard it too much. It's getting boring now. Well, there is oversaturation maybe is a good thing in that sense. But we've all experienced this, okay? You start talking about something. It doesn't have to be politics. It might be abortion. It might be some issue. You talk to someone who disagrees with you, and you end up in fight or flight mode. Why? Because you can't control yourself? No, because your amygdala took over because it perceived a cognitive threat. Someone is threatening my belief. They're threatening my worldview. They are against me. They are attacking me, my identity. And your amygdala takes over and says, whoa. And then you start fighting with a television set or with, or with a newspaper or, or, or your phone where you're reading it on, whatever it is. Okay? And that's why that happens. And it happens to all of us. And this time of America, in this year before the election, it could happen many times a day if we let it. I'm going to fast politics during Lent this year. I'm not going to let myself read anything. I'm not going to let, if I accidentally start reading a headline, I'm going to stop. If I see the word Trump, I'm going to stop reading. If I see the word election, I'm going to stop reading. I'm going to try my best to totally fast from politics over Lent. And I highly encourage you to consider doing that. Highly, highly encouraged. Lent starts this week. Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. So next Sunday will be the first Sunday of Lent. I highly encourage you to consider giving something up for Lent. This is a church tradition that has existed since the very first generation of Christians. They would fast something. It could be food or it could be something else. Fasting food is, is fine, but a lot of us have done that before. It's like we've done that. It might be better to fast something that's actually hurting you. Not that cheesecake maybe doesn't hurt you. Um, but maybe fast something like politics. So, or if there's something else in your life that gets you upset. If there's something. I'm going to fast for my kids. There, there, is a, there is a limitation um, on, on this. And I, I, will, I will acknowledge that. Um, yeah, I don't, we could open a big can of worms here. What do you want to fast from? Your spouse. This one. I'd like to fast from this one right here. Because she makes me angry. No. She does something that you perceive as a threat, and you get angry because of that. Um, think about this. What are the things that make me go into fight or flight mode? What is it that I get angry because of? Pray about that, and maybe consider fasting that for Lent as much as possible. I, I, I realize it's... You know, in this world, it's impossible to fast. Like, you know, we did a negativity fast last Lent, and it's hard to fast from all negativity because the whole world is negative. Negativity is everywhere. It's really hard not to say a negative word about something. Okay? But think about it. Think about what you might want to fast from. I'm going to try to fast from politics. I'm serious. It's going to be hard. Um, I'm going to have Sarah try to keep me accountable and some other people, too. Be like, oh, no, no, don't eat that. Don't eat that. <laughs> Because I really think that a lot of this political stuff that's going on is bait in a trap. I think Satan, Satan sets traps. It doesn't matter if you like the R's or the D's, or the donkeys or the elephants or the leaves. What, what are the Green Party? I don't know. Leaves. Um, like, it doesn't matter who you like, the communists. It doesn't matter who you like. It's bait in a trap. 
It's bait and a trap. I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved in the political process. I'm not saying we shouldn't have opinions. I'm not saying we shouldn't be informed. I'm saying don't take the devil's bait. It's a trap. As Admiral Akbar said, you'll get trapped in there, and you'll be angry, and you'll be yelling, and you'll be upset, even if you're right. What good does it be to be right if you're freaking out and your balloons are exploding? I'm exploding all the time because I'm so right. <laughs> Congratulations. Everyone around you is miserable because you're so right. I'm, I'm really preaching to myself right now, by the way. <laughs> Seriously, I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> so this stuff is real. This is rubber meets the road stuff, okay? This is employee-employer stuff. This is daily stuff. This is neighbor stuff. This is spouse stuff, you know, parent-kid stuff. This happens a lot. We get in conflict a lot. And it's not bad to be in conflict. It's not bad to be angry. We need to figure out how to deal with it. What do we do? And the first thing is to understand that anger is a secondary emotion. When we get into this mode, we cannot think. Don't try to have that discussion when you're still upset or you know they're still upset. And so this is going to take humility, especially if it's more of a personal. In, in a job relationship, it can be different. You know, in a job relationship, it can be a little more cut and dried, right? You might say to your employee, hey, so last week on Friday, we talked about how you were going to produce this product, this information sheet that I needed by 5 p.m. because I was going into that meeting. Do you remember that? Yes. I didn't get it. And so I went into that meeting, and I felt like an idiot because I didn't have what we had agreed upon by 5 p.m. And then they launch into their excuse tirade, right? Let them do it. Let them do their excuse tirade so that they don't get too defensive. Because if you come against them, they're going to get into fight or flight mode, and it's not a good discussion anymore. And you should always do this when you're sitting down, not standing up. Standing up is more intimidating. Again, we're not talking about cognitive stuff. We're talking about the amygdala, which doesn't know a lot. So large person standing near you is automatically intimidating. You don't want them to get defensive. They're, people call this the lizard brain. They call the amygdala the lizard brain because it's, it's primal. Even, even lizards have this. And that's how, what a lot of animals have. And for most animals, that's all they have, basically, is reaction to stuff. So you sit and you speak calmly and gently. I highly recommend speaking a little bit quieter than you normally speak. Lay it on thick. Maybe they have to lean in even a little bit to hear you. You're like, you know, I really, it made me feel like an idiot when you didn't do what we had talked about doing, and I did not like that. And smile. Let them know you're not mad, but what happened was not okay. You have to be very clear. You can't be Minnesotan about this. You can't say, so, you know, it might be nice if, if next time you do what I asked, if you can. You know, you, you, can't, you can't be passive-aggressive about this. In a job situation, you have to be like, this is what needs to happen. This thing that did happen, it can't happen again. And then let them give you all the excuses for why they couldn't do it. Like, just let them go. Smile, nod, it's okay, it's okay. And then be like, okay, so next time, when we have a deadline, I need to make sure that I get this on time because I don't want to go into another meeting like that and have that happen. Do you think we can do that? 
they'll of course say yes. And if you want, you could say something like, is there anything I can do to help you to be able to do this on time? And, or you can say something maybe like, if you run into a problem, please at least inform me of what the problem is. Maybe I can help solve the problem, or maybe I can point you to someone who could solve the problem. I don't want to walk into a meeting without what I need. Are you able so that was, that was just a little role play. I'm not saying that was perfect. I just made it up. But. In this role play, um, don't you have to deal with human anger before you do it? Because yes. Because if you don't, won't you just bring about what James says? 100%. Chris, Chris says, if, you're, if you bring your human anger into this, isn't it dead before it starts? Absolutely. This, this conversation here presumes that you have already dealt with your own anger. You've already let the balloon go, and you've thought the conversation through in your head, and you, you started with humility. You've got to start with humility here. Okay? Even in even a work situation, you have to start with humility, and you have to start with the understanding that I'm trying to keep them from perceiving a threat from me as much as possible. I'm trying to keep them from perceiving a threat. So we have to be soft and gentle. You don't want to do this in public. You want to take them into another place. You want to sit. You want to talk to them. And in, in, this, in this role play, I was sort of the supervisor or employer. But it could be the employee. It could be a coworker. It could be you talking to your boss, right? Because it's all the same stuff. You want to do the same things. And you can't. You can't do it right after the meeting. You can't walk out of that meeting and rage text. That's, that's going to make it worse. Okay? You can't walk out of that meeting and call them up and get down here now. No. You probably, if it's on a Friday, when, when this story I made it on a Friday, you have to wait till Monday. You have to pull them aside. You have to talk to them. You have to let yourself cool, cool off. Chris, you're absolutely right. So you have to have dealt with all this beforehand. You bring it to the Lord. You let it go. And when you do, when this stops, when the alarm stops ringing, and this, your prefrontal cortex, for those at home, I'm pointing at a really bad drawing of a brain. Um, when the prefrontal cortex turns back on, you might realize that maybe you made a little bit of a mistake somewhere along the road here. Maybe you, you could have made it more clear that it was due at 5 p.m. or you have to talk to them. Maybe you could have done something different. Maybe, oh, shoot. They sent the email to my junk folder. Crap. <laughs> Maybe they did what they didn't make a mistake at all. This is my fault. You know, who, or, or Google's fault, whatever. Um, um, so when your prefrontal cortex kicks back in, you're going to be able to think about this rationally. And all that has to happen before you actually have a conversation to try to resolve a conflict. Because you can never resolve a conflict when you're in flight or flight mode. When you're angry, you can't even have a discussion. Neither can they. You also don't want to make them feel too, you don't want to be the snake that just surprised them on their walk, you know? So uh, you might say, hey, can I, I need to talk to you about something. Is that okay? Is this a good time to talk to you about something? Most people will say yes. And then again, bring them aside, sit down, try to be as calm, quiet as you can, um, and let them rant. Because they're going to be like, well, it wasn't my fault. Carol, it was this man you gave me, Lord. He made me eat the apple. Right? That's how we are, and nothing's changed since the Garden of Eden. Okay? Um, and so let, just let them do that. Let them rant. You can't come against them and be like, this isn't Carol's job. Don't blame Carol. You know, just nod and smile. This is what I learned in seminary. 
and smile. Yeah, if you're in a counseling session, <laughs> or someone absurd. or someone grab someone grabs you after church or something like that, and they're in a rant, just nod and smile. Ooh. You can occasionally throw in a that sounds hard, one of those like things. Just let them rant, because most people will be ranting and they'll be pacing, and then when they're done, that was their way of getting rid of all the stuff in their balloon. Maybe not the most healthy way of getting rid of it, but they get rid of it, and then they can be like, <sighs> so I don't know what to do. What do you think? And then they're deflated, and then you can talk to them. But you've got to let people rant sometimes. Um, when you're talking about more of a personal relationship versus business, things get a little more sticky, because there's always a lot more stuff. There's a lot more baggage. There's a lot more data for your amygdala to pull up <laughs> from the past, especially if you're talking about a parent. You know, or a spouse or something like that. Um, but I think the same principles apply. You have to deal with yourself first, and you have to start with humility. And it's really helpful to, in the relationship, say, we're going to try to not have arguments. And we're going to try to learn to understand when we are in flight or flight mode. The more you understand yourself, the better you're going to be to other people. We talked about that last week, too. And so learn to recognize, my heart is speeding up. My mouth's getting a little dry. I feel a little too much energy. I feel a little antsy. That's adrenaline. Okay? Recognize the signs in your own body. And then you, some of us are already good at recognizing the signs in other people. Some of us just aren't. You know? But if, if their face is getting red, this is not a good time to talk. And it, so it needs to be spoken out loud with the other person that we're going to try not to do this. And so when one of us gets upset, we need to allow the other one to get upset. We, we can't say, don't get upset at me. What's your problem? Again, that's a Minnesota thing in some other cultures. In Japan, that's a thing. You don't do that. Um, let them get upset. Give grace to that. Okay, I'm upset about this. I need to walk away, as Andrew wisely said. I need some time. I need some space. And then you can come back and be like, hey, can we talk about that? And maybe they're like, no, this isn't a good time. Not right now. When it is a good time, talk to them. Be like, okay. And then you can talk about it. And again... When we do that, we often say, so when you said this, it made me mad. But remember, that's not actually what happened. Anger is a secondary emotion. When you said this, it made me feel unimportant. It made me feel marginalized. It made me feel like you didn't respect me because of my gender. It made me feel something. It made you feel something. And then you got angry. And and part of giving up your anger, you can think and pray and say, God, what, what was it that happened? Maybe Because maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't realize he made me feel just like dad always made me feel. You might not realize that immediately. You probably don't. Your amygdala does, but it's on autopilot. You know what I mean? So while you're giving it up and while you're praying, you can say, God, why did I just get so upset? What's going on? You got upset because he was late and he didn't call. Okay. So what? How did that make you feel? Did that make you feel worthless? Did it make you feel abandoned? Did it, were you afraid? Were you afraid that something happened to them? Do you feel that they were just being very discourteous? Who doesn't text and let me know that they're going to be late? What was it that you felt? And then you can say, okay, Lord, why did I feel that way? Was that justified? It may have been absolutely 100% justified. And it also could connect with something else. Dad was always late. He never was there for me. Ooh, 
okay, now we've got a thing. Right? Now, now there's a Holy Spirit thing going on, and he wants to heal you of something. And God uses everyday situations all the time to get at deeper issues because God wants us to be healed from that dad was never there for me thing. And he will happily use your friend ditching you at lunch for 25 minutes while you sat there and ate 90 breadsticks. He'll use that to help get at your problem that he needs to heal. God is happy to do that. And we're like, why do all these terrible things happen to me, God? And he's like, it was really hard to delay your 25 minutes. What are you talking about? I did that on purpose. I'm trying to help you. You know how much traffic I had to mess up to get her to be late? Have a little appreciation. God isn't that precocious, like capricious. Don't worry. But like, God often is allowing these things to happen intentionally. He doesn't really have to work hard most of the time because conflict is just going to happen. It's just natural. It happens all the time. But God can use conflict if you let it. So try to deal with it beforehand. If you can figure it out, if you can get some understanding, great. If you can't, that's okay. But you can still come together and talk to the person and say, okay, so this happened and that made me really upset because it seems like it just keeps happening. And you say, it's not going to happen anymore and it just keeps happening. And I feel like I'm always halfway mad because at this point I'm expecting it to keep happening. And I don't want to do that. Love believes all things and hopes all things. It doesn't expect evil. <laughs> so how can we fix this? I'm having a hard time with it. And you know, the other person might not realize it. They might be clueless. They might realize it, and they just don't know how to fix it. And then they're frustrated, mad, and defensive about it. Um, but if you can come in softly, humbly, um, trying to get at the roots of the issues. And I have a very mixed opinions of psychology. Um, but right now in psychology, it's popular to say, use I feel statements. And this is one instance where I think they got it right. Don't say, you did this, or you said this. Because when people feel an accusation, ding, 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 ding. And some people are really touchy when it comes to that. And their amygdalas are just like, you're going to say something, aren't you? I knew it. <laughs> Fight or flight mode. We're off to the races. Okay? We all know people like that. Sometimes we're that people. <laughs> um, that usually actually comes from one of those deeper wounds. There's something going on there that is never fully healed. And so you are, your balloon is kind of halfway full all the time. Um, <coughs> um, where was I with that? Oh, I feel statements. And so rather than accusing someone else, be like, so I felt like you didn't care about me when you didn't call when you were going to be late. That's okay. That's how you felt. It's not saying you intended me to feel bad because <laughs> maybe they didn't intend you to feel bad. It was like I was driving and there was a lot of traffic. I can't text and drive. That's not legal or safe. So that's actually a pretty good excuse. <laughs> um, <laughs> now that I think about it. I mean, you can call. Maybe, you, but you could maybe call if you, if you have the ability or maybe my phone died. That, that's almost never true. People's phones don't really die. Um, but it's a great excuse. Um, you're like, my phone dies. You're, or you're like, that's my best excuse. Shut up. Um, whatever it is, go in with a, when, when this occurred, I felt this way. And, and how you felt about something is valid. Now, the other person might say, I did not intend it that way at all. And so now instead of fighting, now you're like commiserating. 
You're, you're empathizing with each other. I am sorry. I really did not intend for that. And this is part of the humility thing. And that's the, I have a bunch of stuff written down as far as steps. But one of them is apologize profusely. That's, that's basically the last step, even if it wasn't your fault. People keep calling me from Singapore. I don't know what's going on. I'm, did I buy a timeshare there? I don't know. I want to go to Singapore. I really do. It sounds like an awesome place. But they keep calling me. Anyway, <laughs> um, I, I may have been derailed from my train of thought. <laughs> and that may make me upset. If it makes me upset, the sermon's over. Because I, I can't think rationally right now. Right? Apologizing profusely, thank you, Paul. Um, so, uh, and, I, and I do this with my kids all the time, right? One of them will accidentally bump the other one. They spill some water. There aren't any steps of, of anything. There's instant rage, right? Ah! You did this to me! And what I'm trying to teach the kids is, first of all, don't do that. It was an accident. And it, but the, the thing that especially the younger ones have a harder time with is, it's not my fault. Why should I have to apologize? I didn't do anything. Well, you did. You made a mistake. You didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't a sin, but you made a mistake. You accidentally bumped her, so she spilled her water. And so you should apologize for that, and you should do it genuinely. I really didn't mean to do that. I am sorry. But pride gets in the way of that, right? That's just pride. Pride said, if it's not my fault, I'm not apologizing for it. It's not my fault you felt this when I did that. You feel too much. No, that's exactly right, and that's what I'm trying to. Restoration out of it. That's what I'm trying to teach them, and, and we just had this. This was a conversation that happened two days ago. We're working on the no rage. Well, yeah, with the six-year-old, with the six-year-old, it's keep her from turning into the Incredible Hulk. But but with Kaylee, it was okay. So yes, you made a mistake. It's not your fault. No one's mad at you. Okay. Well, she's mad at you, but that's a different story. <laughs> she's six. We're working on it. Um, but you did make a mistake, and so I want you to apologize for it, and then I want you to clean it up. But that's not fair. First of all, life's not fair. Sorry. Yeah, I believe it's part of my job to teach them that, because it's a fact. Secondly, it is your fault. You bumped her, and that made her knock her water over. Either way, clean it up. Help each other. Uh, but that, that, that's hard, because pride, pride doesn't want to do any of those things. Pride doesn't want to do anything we've been talking about today, other than the rage monster part. Other than that, I'm right, you're done. Um, and so humility, humility, humility. If I was going to make a list of ten ways to resolve conflict, at least three of them would be humble yourself. But th and, and that's why God actually loves conflict. He loves us being in conflict because this is a great way for us to have to humble ourselves, to have to come to him, to have to let go of ourself. In truth, we've already been crucified with Christ. But in our daily day-to-day day -day life, we tend to get up out of that grave and walk around as our zombie, who's supposed to stay dead. And instead, we keep acting in those same old ways. And so conflict is used by the Lord to allow us to, no, 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 it's not about you. It's not about you. Give up as much of yourself as you can. Okay, Even if you're right, it's not about being right. It's about being loving. Which would you rather do? Were the Pharisees right about most things that they talked to Jesus about? They were. Very seldom did he tell the Pharisees, you are theologically incorrect. <laughs> Almost never. But what did he tell them? You're a brood of vipers. 
You're like a whitewashed tomb. It's great on the outside, dead on the inside. They were right, but they had no love. If you are right about everything, but don't express love, you're wrong. And you're all wrong. You're all wrong. It doesn't matter if you're all right. <laughs> if you don't express love, it's all wrong. It's never going to work. Um, and so we have to humble ourselves and try to go into conflict resolution with as much of that humility as possible, with a genuine desire to help the other person and to try to keep the conflict from happening again, not with the genuine desire to win. Because it's not a battle. If you go in, you can't go into a discussion <laughs> or a conflict with a desire to win because that's battle. That's fight mode. You're already in fight mode. If you're like, I got my five arguments, ready to discuss. <laughs> no. If, that, if, if you got your arguments and you're ready to discuss, you're walking in like this. Even if you're pretending to be humble, I'm very humble, I'm going to nail you. Okay? If you're in fight or flight mode, it's just pointless. It's never going to do anything. You're never going to resolve a conflict. Yeah. How does that work with the community or the people? Anger towards yourself. Great question, but I haven't thought of it all. Um, <laughs> Next. <laughs> how does it work with anger towards yourself? It's true. Same with, you can't. You get into fight or flight mode about yourself. I do all the time. Maybe, I, I assume other people do too, but I get mad at myself more than I get mad at other people. And it's the same response. You, you, you get uh, a little jittery maybe, and, and you get all the physical symptoms of being in fight or flight mode. And then you, I get it, I at least get into this revolving cycle of all the other stupid things I'm doing and how I'm so dumb and blah, 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 blah. That's the data data dump of the amygdala. Right. These are all the reasons. Right? So you process all of that. But I think the process of getting out of that is the same as if it was somebody else. It's just that we tend to give more grace to other people than we give to ourselves. Yeah. We tend to give very little grace to ourselves. And the devil comes and says, everything is correct. You do suck. <laughs> Listen to all that data. All that data is right. right? Um, but I think it's the same thing. We have to let it go and we have to give it to God. And, and choose to allow that to be a way for us to humble ourselves before God and other people, as opposed to, that's the good path, as opposed to choosing it to let it get us depressed and, and drag us down. Because when we don't give up the anger towards ourselves, we have much less grace for other people because we, we, we feel like we stink and we, we don't deserve anything and, 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 and that, that always goes down a slope that ends up hurting other people. But it's hard. I, I, I haven't thought a lot about this. I'm just kind of t talking off the top of my head. Yeah, but, uh, there's one thought on that. Paul, yes. Here. One, one thing that's really important, you're talking about something different than, like, you're talking about more like probably shame is probably the emotion. Everything, disappointment. Sure. You can disappoint in yourself. And sure. Yeah, one really practical application for how to process through that I do it all the time, truly, and, and ask the Lord to say, give me a revelation of how you feel about me, because it's going to be way better than how you feel about yourself. Yes. And so that really helps calm the traffic of your mind, because if you engage in that conversation with the enemy, the accuser, one, don't believe everything you think. Right. A lot of times the stuff you think isn't your thought. Yeah, all that data that the amygdala is bringing up, you've already been forgiven of them. Yeah, so sometimes it's like just don't even give access to the accuser. Right. 
So I know Paul taught me a lot. He goes, discouragement will take you out if you let it. So you have to shut the door to discouragement. And then two, it's a lot easier to, like psychology, it's a lot easier to start a new behavior than stop an old one. So a good behavior to start is believing what the Father says about you, as opposed to trying to not think about what the enemy feels about you. Because if you say, don't look at the blue chair, you're going to look at the blue chair. But if you say, look at the yellow flag instead of the blue chair, you'll look at the yellow flag. So don't wrestle a bone out of a dog's mouth. Give him a steak. So eat the steak, which is the father's belief and opinion about yourself versus what you think about yourself. That's great. Thank you, Paul. And um, bye, gang. We're, we're not mad or upset that you're leaving. We're just disappointed. I'm really thankful you feel that way. So, yeah, practicing peace. We I, I preach on peace um, every you know six to nine months. And so I'll probably do it again in the fall. But those steps of practicing peace, I think, is the same thing with dealing with this kind of stuff, is letting it go, plus everything Paul just said. Chris. I just think it's helpful if we can assume that when we have reactive anger or rage, almost certainly it's uh, man's anger or fleshly anger. Because uh, James, I think James says... Yes, as opposed to... I'm angry and it's righteous anger. When James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to be angry, because the anger of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. Yes. I think he experienced it himself. I was reading today from Mark where Jesus' own people, his own family, they were angry. Yeah. They were really angry because he was upsetting everything. And maybe James, maybe was the second son and led the pack. They were angry because he wasn't doing he was, they thought he was crazy. Yep. And they probably felt embarrassed. Yes. Everybody probably kept coming to him all the time. So your son's a holy man. What's the deal yeah. with that? So anyway, James has a lot to teach us on that. I so totally when we agree. react and are angry, we need to go back to prayer. Then we'll be able to do the scenario you yep. did with the. Absolutely. That's one. And the other one is the political thing. We have to step up now. And the fasting is really great because. When we're talk, talking to someone about the Lord, they almost shouldn't even know where you're coming from politically. They could assume, if you're evangelical, that you probably believe in conservative values. But we should almost uh, transcend that so that they could see Jesus and not see an mm-hmm. agenda, a political party. So I think that's a good, yeah. good thing. And I think Paul's love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 uh, you know, 12, 13, and 14 all go together. It's one sermon in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. And the love chapter is smashed in the middle of how we're supposed to relate to each other and do spiritual gifts because it all centers around love. It has to. If it's not love, it's wrong, right? And love hopes all things, believes all things. Before you sit down to talk to someone to resolve a conflict, which, by the way, you have to do. You can't do the Minnesota, I'm just going to ignore the conflict until one of us dies. Like, it doesn't work. It's not healthy. It's not good. Um, you're never going to grow or move forward if you don't have, sit down and have those conflict resolution discussions. But go into that hoping all things, believing all things, keeping no record of wrongs. Read through the chapter, maybe, would be a great exercise. Just read through 1 Corinthians 13, and each statement say, I am about to do this. I am keeping no record of wrongs. Ah, uh, shut up. 
okay, all those things are still in my head from 10 minutes ago or 10 hours ago or however long ago this happened. All those things are in my head. I got to let those go right now. I got to, I re-forgive whatever I need to do. My stupid brain just brought all this stuff back up that I don't want. I keep no record of wrongs coming into this conversation. We're going to talk about what just happened or what happened earlier, but I'm not going to keep record of that. I'm not going to hold that against you. Okay, I'm going to hope all things. I'm going to believe all things. I'm going to believe that you want my good, other person. I believe that you weren't trying to intentionally hurt me. And even if you were trying to intentionally hurt me, which people do make mistakes. That's in your anger, don't sin. Sometimes we sin when we're angry and we hurt someone. Sometimes we do it intentionally. It's sad, but we do it. Um, even if they did, I'm still going to forgive them. So I think that love chapter, I was just thinking of this now, Chris, when you brought it up. But I think, I think that's a great, the, James, love, these are great anchors when going into this kind of stuff, and really any kind of interpersonal relationship. We're all, we all have conflict. You know, with, I started rooming with one of my best friends in college, and we were best friends. We got along great until we started rooming together. And dang, man. Conflict all the time. And I was, you know, 19, so I wasn't good at this kind of stuff yet. <laughs> I was a little more Minnesota, I'm going to hold my rage and then blow up at you at some point. Um, or I'm going to do the spiritual thing and be like, no, I've forgiven you. By the way, I forgave you of all this terrible stuff you did to me. I just wanted to let you know. <laughs> I didn't see that for what it was. Complete pride, right? Um, anyway, so this stuff's tough, okay? This stuff is really tough. It's day-to-day -day stuff. And, and, and I really encourage you to give, this, to give it a try with more humility and more love and to have some open conversations and be like, can we, can we try to do this? Can we work on helping each other get better at resolving conflicts? Because if you can have even one or two other people in your life that you can make that kind of agreement with, you'll get better at this. And you'll start to recognize when you're getting upset. Early, before your balloon gets too big, you'll start to recognize, oh, I'm getting upset. I need, I need to stop this conversation. I need to back. And you'll learn probably, many of us can, learn how to tell when other people are starting to get upset. They're starting to get really single focused. They're starting to get really my way or the highway. Okay, I think maybe they're, I think maybe they flipped that switch into fight or flight mode. And so I encourage you, pray about maybe one or two other people in your life that you can have this kind of agreement with. That we're going to try, we're going to try for this. It's not going to be maybe easy. <laughs> By maybe I mean for sure it won't be easy. Um, but that's what we do, right? We help each other out. That's what the body of Christ is for. That's what the family of God is for. And it is Lent coming up this week. And so pray about whether or not God would have you give something up. The purpose of that is Lent is a time where we focus on the death and sacrifice of Jesus for us, right? Moving into Good Friday. And it's customary to give up something so that we feel a little bit of that loss, a little bit of that lack, a little bit of that pain, so that every time... We have to choose not to do whatever it is, eat whatever it is, say whatever it is, that we feel a little bit of, oh, right, Jesus gave it all up for me. And it just helps us focus our minds a little bit because we have difficulty focusing our minds. Because, and sometimes that's not our fault. Um, so I encourage you to give something up. I'm going to give up politics. It's going to be tough. I might have to tell my phone to turn off the news or something like that. Um, on a lot of Tuesdays. Every Tuesday. Every day, honestly, every day. Um, and, and I'm not telling you you have to do that, but I, I am going to keep talking about the politics thing um, for the rest of, of the year because I think it is really important, and I feel like 
by and large, we at the church, church with a big C, like all of us, do a pretty terrible job at this. We take the bait all the time. And I think that the devil gets the church so distracted by being upset and being angry that all of our focus is on that. When maybe God is standing here going, I'm ready for revival, folks. If you would stop arguing, I'd love to come. If you would stop talking about what's wrong with man's system, maybe I could bring more of my kingdom. So that, that's what I believe. And so we're going to talk about that. I'm not trying to come down on anybody who talk, is really into politics. That's not my point. My point is there's good and bad ways to do it. Well, Lord, we thank you for, we thank you for conflict. Maybe none of us have ever thought to say that before, but we thank you that at the very least you use conflicts in our lives to help to humble us, to help to crucify some of our self, um, and to help to bring relationships closer together, because that's what can happen. If these conflicts are resolved positively, we can get closer to the other person and closer to the Lord. And so, God, we ask that you would help us through this because it's tough. We are super selfish. We really want to win. We really want what we want. We want our way. In a lot of ways, we're not much different than the six-year-old who someone bumps and then they rage about the spilled water. I will confess, I'm, I've seen my kids do that, and sometimes I realize I'm not that far <laughs> off from that myself sometimes. And so, Lord, help us to keep on the forefront of our minds that we've already been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. And this life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Lord, as we move into this Lenten season, help us to leave more and more of ourselves up on that cross so that we have more to give to each other. And I pray that you'd help us to be more mindful even this next week of conflicts as they come up, to be more mindful and aware when we are getting upset, getting into anger mode, when we're getting into that fight or flight mode and help us to be able to respond more positively and more in line with your spirit instead of in line with our flesh. And we pray that you would keep us healthy and whole for the rest of this year. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.